Welcome to Faith Seeking Understanding, the daily edition. I'm John Green, and I'm your host. And so here we are on March the 9th, 2021. So we're going to start with the uh, Jeremiah lesson today. It's Jeremiah 7, 21 to 34. And then we have Romans 4, 13 to 25, and John 7, 37 to 52. And the, those links will be down there to the Bible Gateway, um, to the actual scriptures themselves, will be down there in the description box for the day. <clears throat> so what we got here is we've got this Jeremiah 7 lesson. Remember yesterday Jeremiah was speaking in the gate of the temple, and he was accusing the people of chasing after false gods, all manner of sin, but then worshiping God in vain. They were taking the name of God in vain was really the main accusation that was going on there because they were doing it only for vanity's sake. It wasn't for faith or belief's sake at all. It was just simply hedging their bets. And so they were worshiping all these other things, and then they were also claiming to be God's people at the same time and uh, claiming the benefits and believing in the benefits of being God's people in spite of the fact they no longer really believed in Him. They thought they needed Him and this, that, and the other God, when he had promised them everything. But they had to do it his way. And the good news about those other gods was is that they didn't have to do it their way. So here we are now with, he's continuing this, and now he's going to accuse them specifically of concerning their sacrifices. And it goes back to faith again. It goes back to the same argument that Paul's making in Romans. He says that, that it wasn't because of any of those burnt offerings and sacrifices that I brought you out of Egypt. That came later, is the argument. He says, this command I gave them at that time, obey my voice and I'll be your God and you shall be my people and walk in all the ways that I command you, then all will be well with you. He said, before all those 613 laws that you get hung up on and keeping these things in, in the most um, surface way possible, um, Remember this. Let's go back to the main thing. Obey my voice and I'll be your God and you'll be my people. If you walk in the ways that I command you, then it'll be well with you. So which part of this are you doing? And that's exactly what he accuses them of. He said they didn't obey and they didn't even incline their ear to hear. They didn't do any of those things. And there's a reason that it's in that particular order, which is um, the, the obe obedience first and the incline the ear and listen later and, and that is is that one of the things that they take great pride in today although they blew it later and they admit that is is that that when Moses came back um, after the very first part of the commandments what they said is is that you go back up there and we will obey and we will listen and they said it in that order and it says they there's this rabbinic teaching that says that because they did they each got two crowns that day they lost one because of the golden calf each of them lost one but they got two crowns because they got the order right they they trusted in god enough to say we'll obey what he says even before they heard it and so that's the reason for this ordering obey my voice and walk in all the ways and so he says they didn't obey or incline their ear, but they walked in their own counsels in the stubbornness of their evil hearts and went backward and not forward. He said that's, that's who you've been always. You didn't listen. You didn't incline your ear. You stiffened your neck. And so the, the generations that have come into the land, he says, are worse than the ones that got stuck in the wilderness those 40 years. <clears throat> and then he says to Jeremiah what he says also to Isaiah and also to Ezekiel, and and it's true of all the prophets really in some ways and he says god says to jeremiah so you shall speak all these words to them but they won't listen to you 
You shall call to them, but they will not answer. And you shall say to them, This is the nation that did not obey the voice of the Lord their God and did not accept discipline. Truth has perished. It's cut off from their lips. And then God speaks with finality over what's going to happen next. And the judgment is going to happen. And he, he makes this awful, awful pronouncement. But it's right after this. He said, they've done these things, and then they've built the high places of Topheth, which is in the valley of the son of Hinnom, son is S-O-N, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not command, nor did it come into my mind. In other words, this is an abomination beyond belief that they've done this. And, and here we are in America, and, and we don't burn them with fire directly, but after we abort them, that's typically what happens, unless they sell the body parts. And so we as a people have much to repent of, and we have much to pray over and ask the Lord to forgive us. And we have to also let our voices be heard, because they're not our voices. They're the voices of the innocent. They're the voices of the victims of abortion. It's an important thing for us to consider as the church. It's an important thing for us to, to be on the front lines of because this is justice at a level that, that we could never have imagined. That We've got to be there for justice and mercy for those children, and we've got to make that statement. And, and what God says is that, that you know here's how bad it's going to get. It's no longer going to be called Topheth or the valley, valley of the sin, son of Hinnom, but the veil of slaughter. For they'll bury in Topheth, but there's no because there's no room elsewhere. And the dead bodies of this people will be food for the birds of the air and for the beasts of the earth, and none will frighten them away. There won't even be anybody left to scare off the birds and the wild animals from the bodies. And I'll silence in the cities of Judah and the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall become a waste. And so it was after they got carried away and went to Babylon. It's an ugly, ugly thought, but we need to remember that judgment is real. And if you doubt that, then ask that generation what it looked like. Ask the, the tribes that used to be the northern kingdom of Israel if it's not real. It, it's not a pretty thing, and, and we need to always keep our ears open for God to, to speak to us in such a way that convicts us and calls us back to His ways. We need to always be that sensitive to God's voice. We need to know the, the word of the Lord, though. We need to know what it means to be His people and to know what His ways are. Jesus comes... Now we're at the end of the Feast of Booths, and, and that feast ends at that time with, remember, they have rainy seasons and dry seasons, and they've been in, and this is, comes towards the end, hopefully, right? Because it's not promised, and it's not sure every year. If you've ever been in Africa when it's been rainy season or dry season, then you'll know it's not predictable. It's hopeful, but drought can come, and it can happen. So... What we are, we're in this season uh, at the end of the dry season, what should be the beginning of the rainy season. And so they come at this day of the feast, they bring, everybody brings water jars and they pour them out. And that's a statement of faith that faith that, that God's going to provide the rain. And, and they're saying, we're trusting Him enough that we're going to pour the water out that we have because of the provision that is to come. And so it, it, on that day of the feast, Jesus stands up and cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
Now he's talking about the spirit here, obviously. He's not talking about that physical water. But that should remind you a great deal of some of the exact same things that he said to the woman at the well in Samaria. He makes that same promise to them. So you can imagine at this high point in the worship that's based in this water thing, he's offering rivers of living water flowing from within them for those who are thirsty. And, and so the question is, is anybody here really thirsty? And they seem to get it because it says when they heard these words, some of the people said, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ. The prophet is the one like Moses that's, that he promises will come and they're to listen to him in Leviticus. And so the others said, it's the Christ. And then they get into that debate again. Wait, is the Christ to come from Galilee? Didn't Scripture say that he comes from the village of Bethlehem, the village where David was? Because he's David's offspring, and then now they're divided. You know, faith can sometimes be so tenuous, a proposition, that, that a little doubt like that can come in and it can destroy everything. It can absolutely destroy everything. And then what did they want? So some of them then wanted to lay hands on him to arrest him. But no one did. And so when the officers that had been sent by the Pharisees to arrest Jesus come back, they said, well, you bring him back with you. They said, you know what? Nobody ever spoke like this man. And, and the Pharisees, you can see them. They're all slapping their heads here. Have you been deceived too? Have any of the authorities or the Pharisees believed in him? Oh, that's the measure of things, whether you believe in him or not. But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. God could have smacked them all dead right there. These are the teachers. These are the leaders of the people. And they said, this crowd that doesn't know the law, that is cynicism at the highest level I can even begin to imagine. And it's also a failure on their part to have taught the law and to made people aware of things. If they don't know, that responsibility falls on you guys. And they're accursed? Nobody should ever speak about the people under their authority in that way, and certainly not against brothers. There, there's, a, there's a rot that's in this statement that just would make you sick if you gave it very much thought. And so Nicodemus stands up, well, wait a minute. Don't you at least have to have a trial before this happens? What's their response? Are you from Galilee too? Search and see that no prophet arises from Galilee. You're caught up in the wrong stuff, guys. But we can do that, right? I mean, I've seen that in churches forever and ever and ever. And it's worse in the Anglican world because there's more stuff to fight about. You can fight about what the priest wears on Sunday. You can fight about what color is on the cloths. You can fight literally, because I've had it happen, about what color the candles are. You can fight about what version of Scripture you use. You can fight about everything imaginable. Because we forget what's essential. We forget the Spirit of God. You can fight over whether or not it's okay to have a tabernacle that has the reserved sacrament in it, which is the, the bread and the wine that you, that you used for communion and you consecrated that was more than you needed. And so the point to reserve it is to have it available if you need it later, if you had a bigger crowd than you had prepared for. And then you put a light on top of it and it changes everything because it went from before from being a storage thing to be announced something that people can give reverence to because it's been consecrated and therefore the presence of God is in it. And, and then people can argue about that because other people don't believe that. 
other people don't believe that there's something special about that bread and that wine. And at the end of the day, you are filled with the Spirit of God in a way that that bread and wine never can possibly be. And it's C.S. Lewis, when he talks about mere mortals, you know, he talks about that the thing standing in front of you could be a demon or an angel, one that you'd fall down and worship and one that you would recoil in horror from. He wouldn't say that about bread and wine. There's a reason for that. You're filled with the Spirit of God. You're far more important than any of that. So we can fight with our brothers and our sisters and we can say all these things and then, wow. It's unbelievable, absolutely unbelievable, the things that we can fight about with brothers and sisters in Christ, those created in the image of God, shouldn't happen in the church. There's nothing holier that you'll ever meet than, than a brother in Christ, a sister in Christ, those who've been consecrated and set apart for him, baptized into his death, raised into his life. Wow. But, hey, I've been guilty and I've seen it. So now we go back to this Romans passage, and I'm going to tell you the truth. I almost quit doing this a whole podcast, the daily thing, because of this, because I, I prepared for this, and I looked at it, and I said, you know, I think I got these wrong. I think I got the lessons wrong. I must have gone the wrong place. And so I thought, wow, I've probably messed up the lessons for the last two weeks because this was so familiar. I thought I had to have done this last week, and then I realized, yeah, I did. I did in the sermon. <laughs> So it was a Sunday lesson as well. So it's Romans four thirteen to twenty five, and it's it's the argue, continuing argument that Paul's making here has to do with the adherence. Of, if it's the adherence of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. Because if you have to do all that stuff to get it, then faith. What what does faith make? He said, for the, but the law brings wrath. But where there's no law, there's no transgression. If you don't have a law, then you don't have sin, right? I mean, it's a great thing, but can't really organize a society unless you do that and it's the same in God's you can't know God's people if they don't know God's law and you can't have that unless they do it as well but then he goes back to Abraham and, and um, believing that he would indeed have a child after that appearance of God that says this time next year you will and, and Abraham didn't believe that he he didn't believe it at all in the beginning but but he did continue to walk in faith, and he continued to believe that because he went and told Sarah that God had said this thing. So it, he did believe that, and it was faith that was counted to him as righteousness. And, it'll be, and Paul says, it'll be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for the trespasses and raised for our justification. He's, Paul's making it simple. Believe in the one whom God sent, believe in Jesus, the Son of God, who was delivered up for our trespasses, crucified on that cross, and raised for our justification. It's a tragedy in some ways if, if Jesus doesn't come back from the dead. A good man died. It, it's glory because he did. Because of the meaning it has for us. Not just proof that he was a righteous man, but he says that all who believe in him would have eternal life. It's a simple proposition. It's not difficult. And Paul's um, arguments here in, in Romans become sort of the, the basis for the five solas of the Reformation that I mentioned yesterday, and I'm just going to read them to you today. Um, these are the five solas of the Reformation. These are the tenets that said, here's what, what the gospel is, essentially, that you are saved, <clears throat> that, that you have sola scriptura, the Word of God alone. I don't need everything else. I don't need other books. I don't need anything else except for the Word of God. It's all there. Everything I need is there. 
and you're saved by faith alone. And that faith is based in the Word of God. It's based in the truth of the Word of God. So you're saved by faith alone, not by works or anything else. By grace alone, again, not by works or anything else, but simply because God wills to do it out of His gracious, loving kindness. Not through any merits of yours, but through grace alone, through Christ alone. In other words, there's no other Savior, there's no other name given under heaven by which a man might be saved. And then, for the glory of God alone. I'll post those in the description box also, and I'll post them on the. I'll post a sort of a, a, a picture, of them, an image of them, on the Facebook page for Faith Seeking Understanding as well. It's great to meditate on those things. It's a wonderful reminder of the truths of the gospel.